0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So let's get started, enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back everybody. I'm a bit low today, I'm a bit down. Um, I'm in the grips of the COVID malaise, but luckily I've got someone here to cheer me up. A special guest, a secret agent of high British caste. Carrington Smith is with us today. So just let's listen to those dulcet tones, those honed Oxford syllables. Hi Carrington, how are you? I'm doing
1: well, thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) Uh, And of course, you're not British, are you? But my goodness, what a fantastic name. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I actually am British by descent. So British, uh, British, German, Irish. So that is where Carrington Smith comes from, is from my English uh, ancestors. But yes, so I actually uh, am someone who started out as a lawyer and um, ended up practicing law for seven years and then became an executive search consultant. And so I have an, I own an executive search business. And in conjunction with that, I go around and I interview different executives to evaluate them, whether they're good for an opportunity or not. And one of the hallmarks of what I do is I'm really great at figuring out a good fit, a good cultural fit. And one of the ways I do that is by focusing on character and values. And so one of the, my favorite questions when I'm talking to executives to figure out their core and their, their character and values is we all have moments in life that define us. And can you tell me about a moment that has shaped you and how it, and how it did? And so oh, during COVID, I actually, right before COVID, I had an executive after doing this for almost 30 years, I had an executive turn to me and say, well, what about you? You know, what's your defining moment? And it, it's funny because then shortly thereafter during COVID, I wrote this book and decided to sort of ask, as an answer to that question. And one of the things that I really look for when I am, so I'm also an author, but <clears throat> one of the things I really look for when I'm talking to executives is resilience. Because I find that people who really don't have a defining moment, they, don't have, they haven't encountered any hardships in life, are not able then when something comes their way. It's, it's more of a hurricane to them, whereas to someone who's had a lot of experience and has developed really strong emotional resilience, it might just be a rainy day. Mm. So <laughs> so I, I evaluate people for that because if they've just kind of, you know, ridden through life without having any issues, they're probably not gonna be make a great executive because when things happen and you need to be able to react and change quickly, that that resilience which i consider a muscle is something that you need to flex
0: yeah i mean goodness tons to go out there so let's 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 pick some of those things so you're talking about um um being an executive search consultant and years ago i used to be in in that world myself actually so you do get you do get this ability to um be able to judge people and have the empathy to be able to see a fit sometimes it's actually easier to recruit for other people than it is for yourself I think because often we're more I agree it's as because we're a third party we can see things more clearly yes that's that's interesting isn't it how 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 do you how do you go about therefore looking for things like character and values because that's quite indefinable isn't it
1: yeah well that's why I use that question I think you know particularly over here in the States, we have so many different laws and regulations that prevent us from asking certain questions. Right. And so I like that question because it's very open-ended and I'm always shocked. I like to say my job is like a box of chocolates. I never know what I'm gonna get. And that is people will respond with, you know, well, my father had brain cancer and he died when I was five and I ended up being the man of the house. Yeah. Uh, and that really, I mean, right there, you know, wow, this person is very mature, has encountered a lot of things. And the fact that they were willing to be vulnerable and open with me and share that tells me also a lot about them. I'm always surprised what people will come up with. I mean, there are some people who say, oh, well, you know, the birth of my child and or getting married, which, you know, those are life events, but those don't really tell me much about resilience or character and values. And so I try to dig deeper and say, you know, kind of like, oh, come on, give me something else, you know, Um, because I really want to hear more of those moments and it doesn't have to be a huge moment but it can be just an everyday moment that can really be transformative I mean mm. there was one time when I was driving home from I went to Tulane Law School which is in New Orleans and I was driving home from being the French Quarter and uh, we came upon this man lying in the middle of the road mm. and <clears throat> at the time this is before cell phones so what do we do i'm like if if we don't stop and help this man then someone can just run over him because it's it's late night people driving back and forth in the french quarter and so i my friend it's two girls you know my friend's kicking and screaming i'm like no we're gonna stop and we're gonna help this man and he's literally covered in blood in in the middle of the road and i I recognized that moment as the good samaritan from the bible i was like this is that moment and what, what i love about that moment it was so clear to me it like I didn't even have a choice in the matter i knew what i had to do and so we we drug this man from the middle of the road these two little girls <clears throat> we drug him over to the side of the road and then i said well now we need to go call the police there were no cell phones so yeah. we had to go um, back to this girl's apartment and then when we came back um we get there and the men that had beat him up originally and left him in the middle of the road had come back and they were standing there with a tire iron Um. poised to beat him some more. And me, I don't know what possessed me. I got out of my car and I stood there and I knew just so your listeners know I'm five foot three and maybe 120 pounds. And so here I am door open screaming at the top of my lungs. We've called the police. They're on their way. They're going to be here any second. Leave that man alone. Mm. And so, you know, this isn't some big, you know, somebody dying from cancer or, you know, losing a job or a lot of the other hiccups we have in life. This is just a a moment and a choice that I made. But what I loved about it is it really told me about what I would do when nobody was looking. Mm. This was absolutely, it told me that when that, like, God gave me a moment and I know I made the right choice in that moment. And so, yeah. So
0: so just just jumping in for a second, because I find it a fascinating question because as a, a psychotherapist and um, someone who, who do, uh, does this, I talk a lot about not being defined by moments, by not letting your past define you.
1: Okay, there's and that, it's
0: too. that and, and there's that too, isn't there? So I noticed from your biog, uh, and you haven't mentioned it yet, actually, you're, you've not been defined by your parental upbringing. You've not been defined by some of the values from your parents. You've done that thing where you've actually redefined yourself and you've decided yes. who you want to be. And I think that's really one of the most important character things which comes from age wisdom experience but also the self-awareness to make choices for yourself so could you could you tell me a little bit about that because I'm sure that's part of your book as well so it'd be interesting just to hear a little bit about that if you would
1: yeah well I, mean, I think that's an overarching theme in my life so when I talk about defining moments I mean these are things that shape you not necessarily maybe I should rephrase the question mm. moments that shape you um because you're right so for me I mean I came from a family where. Um, was very religious and there were a lot of religious mind games, um, a lot of emotional and spiritual and some physical abuse. But, uh, um, and then when I got to college, I was raped and, uh, my, my family's response to that was, um, to tell me not to talk about it. Mm. And so, you know, that moment in particular, I spent a lot of time in my book talking about it because it's a lot of people go, how can you find good in being raped? And how, how is it that you're able to sort of bounce back from that and not be defined by something like that? Because a lot exactly. of people are. Mm, absolutely. And I knew I didn't want to be defined by it. But what's funny is when we tell ourselves that we equate not being defined by something as not talking about it. Mm. And so what happens is these traumas that happen to us where we say we don't want to be defined by them when we don't talk about them and we don't deal with them, then they become what I like to call the monster under the bed. They actually end up controlling us because we haven't dealt with them. And so part of what I kind of preach or teach as far as my life experience is we have to face those things head on. In fact, I take it one step further and that is, you know, first of all, feel the emotions, as I like to say, I mean, I had to reach rage to reach forgiveness. So I had to go through that whole emotional journey. Good. Yeah. But yeah, and then I went through therapy and all of that. But what's important with all of this is that we then have to go back and examine what happened to us. And it's through that actually incorporating what happened to us as part of our life experience and yes. owning it yes. that we discover the gifts. As I like to say the gifts and the shit. Yeah. and that is how we grow and bloom into our greatness yeah. and so for me one of those gifts from the rape was emotional resilience
0: exactly yeah and exactly and you couldn't have had it without it you wouldn't Absolutely. be the person you were today and it's exactly. integrate it's integrating life into your into your future, which is the key. And I think I, I love so much about what you're saying there. And I like the idea of the monster and the bear. I think that's very clever. And, um, but I think you're right. And it suppresses in your, in your mind. It suppresses in your, uh, in your the DNA, almost of your body. Yes. You know, it actually trauma imprints itself in your body. And, um, and I think that's absolutely right, isn't it? You free yourself by actually looking looking at yourself honestly in the mirror, and I think that's the yes. hardest thing to do. You're absolutely right about not whether it's not talking about it, not recognising it, it's, it's it's a challenge, isn't it? So a lot of people write books as a cathartic exercise. Often it's for themselves, but often it's also to have an audience as well who may have gone something gone through something similar. What, what was your motivation then?
1: Well, so I had written a number of short stories over the years. And I kind of was like, you know, I'm not anyone special. I'm not a business titan or a celebrity or famous athlete. So I was kind of like, who's going to care? Hmm. But when COVID hit, I had this moment where I realized that my very ordinariness is what made my story compelling. Because I, we were all experiencing what I like to call a universal trauma. And I realized the way I responded to it was very different than the way most people responded to it. As you recall, there were all these stories, at least over here in the States of people who had recycle bins full of liquor bottles because people were just boozing it up and just trying to numb themselves. When COVID hit, my response was, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I viewed it like, the Great Depression, or something. I saw it as a historic moment and a chance that we might never have again in our lifetime to stop and reevaluate and change course. And so I looked at, looked at it as an opportunity. And I also realized that I had gone through so much that I knew I was equipped to handle it. So I was kind of like, okay, what do I need to do to manage through this? What do I do? I, you know, vaccines or masks or whatever it was. So my approach is very different. And I wrote the book and knitted these stories together because I believe first people lo- learn best through stories as opposed to you telling them what to do, but sort of as a roadmap for people and as a gift to, to humanity um, to share how I had experienced different traumas and gotten through them and really taken myself from you know experiencing this, these horrible things to Feeling, living a life of purpose and joy and fulfillment. And so I thought by sharing these stories, it might be helpful to others.
0: Interesting. So what sort of stories are they,
1: uh, you having said that? Well, I mean, I opened the book with Being Raped. Um, I, there are, I mean, I've been divorced twice. So I walked people through those experiences. And <clears throat> here's another example of, and um, there's lots. I'd like to, I joke my book has something for everyone because I've been through so much. But you know, losing friends, mom dying from dementia, I mean, all these different life experiences and even just really ordinary things like body dysmorphia and um, you know, just things that we all kind of deal with. Mm-hmm. But um, with the divorce situation, one of the things that, I mean, I was, I've been divorced twice, right? So on the second divorce, one of my friends said to me, you know, Carrie with adversity comes opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it. It took me a bit to embrace that, but as I did, I realized that divorce, while it's the death of a marriage is actually, you get a whole new blank slate and suddenly I didn't have to worry about pleasing him or, you know, now that I'm twice divorced, you know, my parents have given up on me, you know, so I don't have to please my parents anymore. I don't have to please society. I can reshape my life. I was like, wow, this is amazing. So when I took my focus away from what I had lost to what I had gained, it just opened up for me. And I like to say mindset is a muscle. And so the more we use the muscle, you know, the stronger it gets. And so it has taken me to a place now whenever something bad happens, I immediately look for the opportunity in it. And so I'm so much faster at recovering because I'm already looking for the path out and the good and the bad. And so I'm not saying you know, I'm not saying um, to, to minimize or not feel the feelings of the bad things, but I am saying if you have your eye on the fact that there's going to be something good on the other side of this, it just helps you get through it.
0: Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's the point, isn't it? I think people don't understand that um, having a sense of purpose, the sense of going somewhere gets you, it gives meaning to the challenge that you're actually experiencing. And uh, a lot of people give up, they can't summon the grit because actually, they're just, whatever they're doing is just, just agonizing for no yeah. reason. But agonizing yeah. because it has meaning or purpose is different. And actually, that allows you to reframe that. Um, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, um I've just bought a copy, by the way. Sorry, I was I was listening oh, to you. everything you said, but uh, <laughs> I was just looking at the uh it's very rare when you go on the website to see 45 um four and five-star reviews. There's so some and actually the reviews help sell in the book, so that's really fascinating. So uh so sorry about that. So uh, at least you got one sale from this podcast, if yeah, nothing well, else.
1: Thank you. <laughs> um
0: I think I think it's fascinating. You said something about uh which really struck with me, and I, I liked it. Something about the, your very ordinariness yeah. was, was something that was so important to you. And but actually, um, a lot of what you said today has proven that you're not ordinary. You're not extraordinary because, and I don't think you're claiming that, but you're certainly not ordinary. You're certainly um, probably long, um, amongst the, the smaller percentages of people who have that worldview, who have that ability to marshal their intellectual, cognitive and emotional resources to have that mindset. Because surely as you go around and interview some of these top executives, you realise actually how many senior people have feet of clay don't they they don't have yes. the character they yes. they have got where they are because they've been over promoted they've yes. they've they don't have character what they have is a strong networking set um a degree of political acumen and yes. and that lack of character so i wonder how you I wonder how you make sense of that in both your perspective and actually how you're recruiting for clients who actually sometimes want those sorts of people as well don't they well you
1: know i think a big a big thing. And COVID has really kind of helped with this, honestly, you know, our generation, um, growing up. You we say, talking, when
0: you say "our," are you repeating <laughs> me now? that? Cause I'd be very flattered if you were.
1: Well, I, I'm older than I look. I'm 54. Oh, so
0: okay. I'm 27. <laughs> anyway, so that's, well, cool. there you go.
1: Who knew? <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> but <you're> not me. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, but I was raised where we had two separate personas, a personal persona and a professional persona, and the two should never meet. Mm. But with COVID, with the Zoom call, suddenly we saw dogs barking, children screaming. I mean, I actually had a, a I was talking to an executive who had a small child who was, had a, was potty training in, in the back. I mean, of the of the picture. You get a window into people's lives. And so suddenly these two personas have come together, which is also one of the reasons why I felt more comfortable sharing my story. Mm. But I, I think that um, it's, it's important that authenticity and vulnerability are two other things that have come out of COVID. We've seen a lot more of people just saying, this is my life, this is my experience and owning it and people being more open. And what I found is that executives who are not authentic and not vulnerable, those are two real big red flags for me. They either have, you know, really big egos or are just um, unavailable and tend to lack character. So those are two things that I really, really look for authenticity and vulnerability. And if those things exist, then they're willing to open up and really have a candid chat about a lot of these different um, characters, character traits, and values. So,
0: but but then, but that's interesting because what you're looking for is that thing, but yes. that thing is something an organisation might not want. So, in other words, they've got to be skilled enough to show that side of themselves to you, but not in a working context.
1: Exactly, that's so true.
0: So, therefore, they are still managing personas. You see, I have, I have, I, I'm, I love the what you're saying about um, you sort of your. Know, um, that word you said so you talking about authentic vulnerability you had you had something else uh which i I thought i wrote down i can't read my own writing um i I don't buy this authenticity i don't actually want think organizations want all of you coming to work because actually the thing is it it assumes that all of you is fantastic and most of people isn't
1: okay Um, i agree i agree with you actually so i think there's a balance because mm. when i talk about being authentic i mean like when you're interacting with people, of course, and I may need to back off that because there are times in a professional environment where you're not going to share your true emotions. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Yo. No. You're right. Um, but I think it's about showing empathy, and yes, so it's about it's a it's about meeting people where they are and acknowledging when they say, you know, look, I've. I've got a sick kid or whatever. I think in the past people, I mean, even talking about your children at work was frowned upon yeah. and now people are being very much more open about, I'm taking care of my sick mother and I have a child that, you know, and just sort of that openness and that willingness to kind of acknowledge those things do impact your work life. Um, I think that's a really a positive thing.
0: It, it is fascinating. You see, for me, um, because we're they say we're two people separated by a common language, don't they? And I, I just think Americans use authenticity differently to us. And I also think that you're coming from a different place. So obviously the way American business works is a place where you don't, everything sounds so buttoned up and, you know,
1: yeah.
0: uh for, I mean, oh, well, we can least, I can only judge really American corporate life by what we see on television. And, and you can imagine that's, ex, you know, there's some extremes. At least yes. not everything's like suits, is it? But <laughs> I, sus, I suspect some of it's quite true. Some of the West Wing stuff. And, you know, you, you sort of suspect that this, it, corporate life is very buttoned up. You see, you know, when I work in the States, you see people who really do just do as they're told, people yes. who don't care people who actually genuinely don't give a monkeys about customers so the idea of customer service is sort of a radical idea in the the US and that's why we're still banging on about it whereas you know we've recognized that customers pay for your holidays for many years and actually women are equal and you know that you know that you don't necessarily talk about your kids and your, your your spouses but if you do need to go to the dentist and you know, your kids are sick, then you do that. But there's a pro- right. quid pro quo pro- and you work at the weekend or something. It, yes. it sounds like this is a new idea in the States that actually there's what we used to call it the um, the employee contract, didn't we? The psychological contracts. Um, and, and it sounds like that's, that's not existed in the States for a long time. Well,
1: I think that's a fair statement. I mean, a lot of these things had to be hidden. And in order to progress in your career, particularly for women, it was these were things that sort of we hid. We didn't really talk about. So there were a lot of sort of machinations going on in the background, as far as you have a sick kid, you're scrambling to get someone to take care of them, but you're not really letting your boss know because Mm. you don't want it to count against you. So that has gone on for years.
0: Yeah, It's, It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that, um, Well, I find it fascinating talking to Americans as I do when I'm talking to Europeans or people from the Far East. I mean, we are literally human beings who have massively different cultures. But what's interesting is the prevalent business culture being American is we're sort of pontificated to by people who... Um, things like authenticity.
1: Right. It
0: assumes that everyone's brilliant, but the vast majority of executives, managers, middle managers, lower managers—they're just not. They're just flawed <laughs> human beings who are doing their best to get by. Who sometimes, you know, just mess it up. <laughs> they just don't need the hassle. You know, That's not everyone's so doing a hundred-hour weeks. And you know, yes. frankly, most people going to a lot of people going to work don't exist for work, they just exist because actually they just want to get through the day. Right. And, and I do think there's a sort of a heroic American leadership model here, which has gone from being called servant leader to authentic leader. And it's just still command and control. But Calling it something different makes it makes you think that it's changed, but it's the same, isn't it? That's
1: really fascinating. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I think you might be a little bit onto something. You didn't hear that from me, but <laughs> look
0: at listen to my watch, watch, wait for my new book to come out.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, you know, that is so true. I think I mean I've been really fortunate that I have aligned myself with some organizations that really are value-based organizations. Yeah. And so for the most part, tend to really live by that and want certain types of executives that match those values. There are plenty that don't, I mean, think about it. There's a lot on Wall Street, hedge funds, whatever, that really don't care. I just make me some money. Anything goes, you know, those are not organizations that I work with because I would not be able to find them the right talent. I would, those are not people that I would want to associate with. So I would be weeding them out. So that would not be a good match for either of us.
0: And it's fascinating because one of my best old friends is has, has, has an executive search firm in the U S. and the U K. Sorry, and uh, works in the U S. and all over the world. And she's exactly like you. She's established a client base because she's small and ordinary. I'm doing yeah. the parenthesis because yeah. but she's far from ordinary. Um, but you know, that's what small business owners can do: is have choice. But anyway, yes. how do we get our paws on blooming? which is your book. Tell us more. Where can we find it?
1: Yes. Uh, So Blooming is available on amazon.com and the full title is Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. And it's by Carrington Smith, obviously. And it's also available on Audible. So I recorded the book myself. So you really get to hear me expressing myself when you listen to the Audible. So if you Choose to go that route. And then, of course, my personal website is carrington-smith.com.
0: Brilliant. And I'm assuming you're on all the socials and all that. Oh, absolutely.
1: Of- yeah. And, in fact, if you go to my website for your listeners, they can download the first chapter of the book for free if they yes. want to. Yes. yes,
0: I saw that. That was a really interesting yes. way of doing that. I like that. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. And um, I, I, this, I'm I, trying to find something when we're chatting. And, and it's something – it's one of the reviews of the book, and it says – um, something along the lines of, it opens with a traumatic rape and continues like that. And I couldn't put it down until <laughs> the end. I thought, well, you know, that's how, that's the way to make a statement.
1: <laughs> well, I have to say, um, I was an English major and I really, I, I really believe that today people have evolved to where they really only have the, um, the patience or the attention span of a goldfish. We hear about this all the time they only, you know, six seconds. So I understood that for my book to really be successful, it need to be fast paced. Sure. So I don't indulge myself in a lot of beautiful prose. I tend to really just kind of quickly. Um, and there's lots of meat in there, but it's, it's, it's very fast paced because I understand that. And I, and I value your time and I don't want to waste anybody's time. I want them to get the meat of the story out of it. So Um, People tell me it's a page turner, it's fast read. And
0: so. Good for you. Well, it's been a joy, Carrington, to to talk to you today. You you weren't an international super spy, but you were much better than that. You were uh, (laughs) thoroughly engaging and you've um, shaken me up my COVID stupid. You've got me all interested. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Carrington-smith.com and and the book, of course, is blooming, um, which is all about finding. Pose of wisdom in the shit of life. I mean, that, you know, right. what a great idea that is. And it's on the Amazons. I've got a copy. Last one to read it's a sissy, but i will be the first one. So great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day and feel better.
0: I will. You take care. Okay. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links.